0: special uh, ICML episode of Practically Intelligent coming at you. Today we have Nathan Lambert, who leads RLHF at Hugging Face. We talk about uh, a big white space in uh, the op space, as well as a big challenge for machine learning engineers is evaluating the outputs of their models. Uh, it's incredibly challenging. The Hugging we Face do. leaderboard. <laughs> the, it is, the Hugging Face leading board, leaderboard has gained a lot of traction um, recently, but uh, that is just one, uh, a few measures of evaluation at a very, very high level. So we get into a pretty technical conversation on um, how Nathan thinks about where evaluation is headed. And uh, we're excited to share this with you. Yeah, this
1: this conversation was I mean it was it was I'm gonna say challenging because on on one hand, there were a lot of questions that we dive into to your point on the really technical side of things, like really getting in the weeds and how do you think about this kind of quantitative analysis and evaluations of LLMs. And at the same time, um, we we also wanted to steer that conversation more towards but yeah, but how does that affect the the end-of-the-day developer who is just trying to get this out there and be confident in what they're deploying. And that's a hard balance, as, as you're going to start to hear. It's a really tricky balance to say, well, there's these really you know academic mathematical formulas, and uh, how much of that do you really need to know? And how much of that do you just kind of say, this number is good enough for me to deploy, even if I don't understand 100% uh, what those metrics mean? And is that Enough for some people, so I think it's going to be a really um, frank discussion, uh, honestly, about how people think about evaluating their ML models. But uh, I guess you know, let's let's not take our word for it. Let's take our word for it and jump in.
0: Awesome, and we'd love to welcome Nathan Lambert, RLHF team lead at Hugging Face, to uh, the pod. Nathan, thanks for for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Well, there's an array of topics we can cover. We can do hours just on RLHF, but I really wanted to, uh, you know, focus on um, one of your posts recently on your blog Interconnects on LM evaluation because it's such an interesting topic. Can you maybe for we'll link into it, but can you maybe um, talk a little bit about? Um, you know, some of the the, just the high level kind of takeaways from that post and we can kind of dive right into the meat of evaluation.
2: Yeah, so I think the central thesis of language model evaluation right now, given the product focus of language model development is that evaluation kind of missed a leap where there is a large sea of evaluation tools, primarily generated by academic or academic facing communities to drive progress in language models for a long time. And then given the acceleration of progress, they kind of shifted to a much broader domain of use cases. And then now evaluation tools feel extremely disparate and kind of like individual points in a really wide array of things that you want the model to do. So then you end up with people making false claims or more misguided claims on evaluation data points relative to models and what people actually want to do with language models. And all of these different things, whether intended use cases and actual capabilities are all moving goalposts. So the conversation kind of goes in loops, which can be fun, but is not useful when you're actually trying to integrate these things in your products.
0: Definitely. And Hugging Face has um, the OpenLM leaderboard, I know, and a variety of kind of products and and also interesting research around this. But can you tell us a little bit about um, Uh, the OpenLLM Reader Board and kind of the methodology that goes into kind of ranking those models maybe as a starting point, because I think a lot of folks might be familiar or actually have stumbled across
2: that. Yeah, so this started as hoping to be an internal tool to track all the evaluations of external and internal models that we're training on a set of benchmarks that we just kind of thought were as a starting point to understand which models are going to be better at following instructions, better at doing some basic tasks that people talk about a lot, which is the leaderboard is really multiple choice questions which is kind of funny from a language model perspective because it puts a lot of weight on one or two tokens which is normally not what the use cases are but it's a it's a signal that could be optimized against and then it kind of grew into an artifact in the hugging Face ecosystem which is there are tons of models in hugging Face, and discoverability is generally a huge issue so when you kind of have the ability to like index that in some way in this case it was purely academic benchmarks i think the community immediately caught on which is like it, it is not marketed as a discovery tool but that's really what it is because everyone knew that was kind of a limitation in searching on hugging face as there are tons of models but they're mostly like side projects or whatever and you don't know how to actually use them so this is why it, it really took off and then that kind of shifted because as an internal tool, the actual rigor is much lower than when now it's kind of this discovery tool for the platform. And that kind of opens up all these questions on like, why are the reported results of certain models different on the leaderboard than in reality? And that has to do with really subtle prompting things and how evaluation is actually done and results are recorded, which has probably been what most of the work on the back end has been since the actual launch once this has got really big and like llama is the famous example so essentially there's i'm forgetting the name of the evaluation but i think it's like mmlu or one of the ones on the leaderboard there's four of them essentially that there's different tools for doing the evaluation and the back end that yeah yeah sorry i, I missed what you said Yeah, so w- one of the ones was the most debated, and it turns out that the back end that we use, which is from Eleuther, which made this awesome evaluation harness for doing tons of different things, they have different pr- sy- different system prompting than the original research paper for MMLU, and then the like infrastructure that um, maybe LLAMA actually used. So you end up with three different ways of asking the same multiple choice question, which is essentially whether or not you tell the model these are a series of multiple course questions. Please answer the following question. And like whether or not you include some basic context with that is generally what accounts for these moderate differences in benchmarking results, which should probably tell anyone enough about how much, how closely you should look at any of these numbers. It's probably more of an ecosystem perspective on trends is more to take away than any lasting business decision.
1: questions and a lot of my my thinking about this as you know all of our listeners know I am someone who trains and builds applications with LLMs and the the decision to aggregate models and metrics onto a single leaderboard is in my opinion uh, the pros far outweigh the cons right to your point actually you, you hit on the number one thing i i think about with it with a leaderboard is discoverability exploration so To be quite frank, before uh, the leaderboard, I actually, I tell my students this every single class. If you are not familiar with the hugging face, the first thing you should do is explore their spaces. Because to me, at least a while ago, spaces was the best way, even if they were hobby projects, to see what was new, to see what was trending, to see what was being worked on actively. So the idea of discoverability and exploration in space is, is huge, especially for people who are getting introduced to the the world of LLMs, right? They're, they're they no open AI, they maybe know Cohere Anthropic, but they maybe don't know Bloom. They maybe don't know um, open AI's uh, open source models or anything like that. So the, the idea of discoverability to me rings very true. Now, the, the other side of that could, w- would say, well, with four metrics, you're, you're, you're mostly judging or evaluating these models on kind of reasoning tasks, right? Like multiple choice tasks and, and, and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about how that will translate or how that might translate to what would be considered more classical metrics? Like, well how, well, how will I know if this open source LLM will perform well on my even simple sequence classification task? Like, will it work, can it work, and how well will it work? And, and what advice would you give for people who are are trying to perform those kinds of tasks, um, and, and thinking about the open LLM leaderboard as a, a guide, so to speak, or, or a first step.
2: Yeah. So I think there's going to be a lot of like, it's, it's going to be a noisy trend and model. We've seen consistently that models perform better. If they're performing better on one benchmark, they're often getting improvements on others. And there is weird cases where benchmarks drop, but then. Like the higher model, like the base, the scaling laws are kind of seen in the leaderboard. So if you look like the base llama models, there's the huge gaps between 35 and or 30 and 65 billion parameters. And that kind of is also reflected in the fine tuning ones. And what early on in the leaderboard is just like everyone was adding these 13 billion model parameter fine tunes and none of them were remotely close to like the llama base 65 billion and like that fact was still really clear for a long time and i i think that in this kind of craze of evaluation actual like hyper specific tasks like sentiment classification and things that people use nlp a lot for are kind of being washed under the like washed away and not focused all the popular evaluation tools right now are kind of instruction or chat focused. And those are user facing, but kind of smaller in terms of some of the like current applications of language models.
0: Got it. Nathan, one thing that I didn't realize actually you all had built out a lot of your evaluation stuff on was kind of a Luther's test harness. I think that's definitely the best kind of research and open source stuff in the space. Could you talk a little bit about how that Uh, actually works uh, under the hood and 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 why it's so great
2: so the test harness i'm i haven't used it extensively but i can speak for my understanding which is probably right close enough from a lot of people so i think generally they did a very large effort to manually re-implement a lot of popular nlp benchmarks and verify them with kind of their distributed community of contributors and there is a very large number of benchmarks in this harness and why it is nice is because you once you set up a back end you have access to all of these things that have been discussed for years in the research community and kind of having a common access to evaluation was a big problem so if you have to like set up your model for with four different back ends to report the results in the paper then there's so many more entry points for uncertainty. So I think it is the right tool to build on and they're still improving it and fixing issues like the the differences in results between LLAMA, which was talked in social media too much, like they have fixed that and they're <laughs> and it's much easier to do, it's much better to do evaluation through a open and collectively maintained tool than have everyone re, re-implement it's, itself. And other fields of machine learning, like Reinforcement learning, we don't have that, and there's extreme history of numerical issues and kind of a lack of robustness and belief in results. Nice, and and can you kind of kind of
1: wrap these ideas together? Um, how ca- how could we use or combine kind of like a Luthers test harness with? Because again, I I have a lot of clients who who for the most part they don't want to do generative tasks right they want to use generative models or what we call generative models um and they want to use them to perform again literally simple tasks like token classification sequence classification or even q a at this point would be considered a relatively simple task as opposed to zero context uh question answering but like open book question answering can can people use a luther's test harness to kind of to, to, to use against those simpler, so to speak, metrics, or would you recommend some other tool or some other resource to do that? Like, What what are your thoughts there? Because I think there's a really, there's a big bold line between people who are trying to evaluate how well is this thing instructionally aligned or good at answering these multiple choice questions, which is a, a fair evaluation in its own right. Um, in my experience, at least, um, the vast majority of people don't frankly care about that, especially my clients. They care about how well they will perform on their specific tasks. So, what advice would you give on, on kind of tackling both sides of those? Would you use a Luther for both? Would you use one or another? Like, what would you say?
2: I'm willing, given how long the list of tasks in the harness is, I'm willing to guess that the answer is there. There's just another discovery problem where I think the general energy of the cycle of development is so pointing away from that, that it makes it harder to continue to use these things for the more grounded applications. And I expect the answer is there, but the fact that it's not as easy is probably, it just kind of reinforces your question rather than making an answer.
1: Yeah, fair. And I'll I'll say one quick anecdote there is if you kind of just Google around for Luther AI's test harness, and I, I have done this, you on the first page of Google, even you'll you'll get people on Bookface, you'll get people on Reddit saying, "How the heck do you use this thing? It's so complicated." And I, I totally get that. Like even when I look at their GitHub, I'm scrolling and I'm like, "Oh man, <laughs> like this is a lot. I gotta take some time to look into this." But um, it, 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 how do you see that conflict evolving with with the vast explosion of people who are just entering the space? Do you think it is a, a fair kind of gate gateway to say, well, well, hey, to understand this and do this well, you have to read and understand and and comprehend this. Or should Eleuther and other test harnesses kind of come to a level where introductory learners can also use this, even for a few benchmarks? And just to get started, I guess, what, what, do you, what is your view on the gap between usability and, and just comprehensibility and exhaustiveness
2: of the tool. I think I would put this into kind of the product gap of language models broadly because Eleuther AI and Hugging Face are, like, Eleuther's a research org and Hugging Face is kind of an infrastructure org, and there's still a gap for people that build, like, this idea of evaluation as a service, which I think there are are people doing it more from the AI safety lens with a different kind of less grounded, like, immediate timescale. And I think that there's things like you, you could easily see someone selling that to someone without an AI background of like, here's how you collect the, here's how you make the connections and make that kind of decision without having to spin up a local compute center and do all these things that people don't want to deal with.
0: Yeah, I think we're at this really interesting <laughs> point where exactly like you said, Nathan, this is just not tracked with the rest of the field. Like, people really care. They look to these leaderboard general manager, but it always, you know, goes back to your specific task, right? Like, you're doing summarization, if you're doing sentiment analysis. People care how it performs on their data. The issue, uh, and, and another anecdote I'll share, is I was talking with someone at the leadership at Mosaic, So, and congrats to their team on the acquisition recently, but the they said it's surprising because we'll train these models and we'll take these higher parameter count stuff and essentially... Um, quantize, distill them, and and deploy them for customers. And then people realize their output is awful because their data quality is just terrible. And they have no way of improving it. And so everyone, I think, is facing this problem. And there's kind of these lightweight kind of prompt tooling companies that are kind of, you can kind of preview output. But again, that's not helpful. And so that kind of tension between, you can see kind of ELO scores or MLU, but then it really depends on your local data. Have you seen, like, how, how should people be approaching this? Because it is very, you know, models in the wild just, de- you know, behave differently than on your specific context of data. And that's what, you know, engineers care about. So, any advice on how to think of this? You know, is, is space going to catch up in 12 months? Or, like, how should people be, be dealing with that kind of problem and, and gap in <laughs> performance?
2: Yeah, there's a couple things here, like there's technical implementations of how to actually generate tokens from especially like instruction tuned language models. If you're downloading an instruction tuned language model from the hub, uh, like from Hugging Face, you generally need to know how it was trained, which which, during training, they often have special tokens and something called a system prompt, which essentially comes before what the user instruction is, which would be like maybe or a pirate respond in the style of a pirate and then the user will put in like uh what's your what's the best fruit for a milkshake I don't know and then like it can like the system prompt layer and how that information before the prompt is encoded can totally nuke the model so essentially when we were doing another part of the leaderboard which is like generating human data to compare popular instruction models it took like a week of fiddling with these system prompts for a if you're going to do Koala, Vicuna, whatever you like, the whole zoo of models, then you have to get them exactly right for all of them. And they all use different um, backends. So I, I know like language model sys, they, that organization in their GitHub repo, there's a file, it's like conversation.py that has all of the ones for the models that they're serving. But that is just like, I could see that turning into a specific GitHub tool, which is essentially like a common interface for managing the system prompts. And I think that's only one of the problems for actually generation, because there's also like specific hyperparameters for generation and uh, maybe hardware specific or kernel specific things I can also mess with stuff. And I think there's probably just like needs to be separate tools for that. Having, having seen how easy it is to get really awful generations from a model that actually has a lot of reasonable information stored on in it.
1: Yeah, I am, and to touch on that even a little bit deeper, um, in, in my in my latest book on, on LLMs, I, I, I try to encapsulate a lot of the kind of frequently asked questions, FAQ so to speak, that I get, and and a big one is usually coming from people who are even ML engineers who are seasoned ML engineers who are just learning about LLMs and, and NLP in general. They are surprised when I tell them something as simple as, oh, well, if you're using DaVinci GPT-3, you just prompt it, you just you just literally can type in something and then it will respond versus to your point, if you move to Chat GPT, you know, 3.5, 4, and eventually beyond, it's not that simple. It can be, you can just input it into a user prompt and call it a day, but there's this other thing called a system prompt. Well, what's a system prompt? And, you have to get into these, these these kind of high and low levels of, of discussion and, and usually all they care about at the end of the day is just tell me how to get the answer out of the thing and tell me how I can evaluate it. So the, there's this, again, this gap between there's a lot there under the surface to your point of, of this is what it was trained on, this is how, you know, this is what packages they use to do the actual reinforcement learning, TRL or whatever, um, and all that has to boil down to, and here's how you ask it the question and get an answer and, and, and stuff like that. And that's not always easy to boil down. So what advice would you give, not to people using LOMs, but to people training LOMs and putting LOMs out there? What would you say is the number one thing that will give them an easier time of distributing and, and letting others use their LOM? What, what advice would you give people building the LMs and putting it out there?
2: I think generally people are using a lot more instruction data in the pre-training phase. So if you look at like anthropics work, they no longer do a lot of the things to get it to be easily steerable. And the base models are just kind of doing that, but it's kind of a long like technological lag because these models were designed to just predict sequences for so long and all the infrastructure and kind of understanding of people needs to shift with how the models are being trained as I'm kind of in the boat that, prompt engineering as it's done today will kind of not be a thing within a few years like prompt engineering will be generally the art of understanding how to manipulate outputs of the models but like generic getting normal use cases out of the models will become increasingly easy as data quality and kind of instructions in the data set become more prevalent
0: yeah one thing and you touched on this in your post is I think a lot of people just they go two ways, right? I see classical ML people basically look for you know more specified metrics, and then I see people that come out of research look to human evaluation. But I don't think people or like broadly as a community because things are moving so fast, we've unpacked the pros and cons of that. Like I've heard people at OpenAI who do that have now called it "quote brain damage" the model because the basically you're you're causing it to it, it improves it on your specific area. But then it may cause a bunch of unintended consequences. So can you talk about kind of the pros and cons of human evaluation, things like second position bias that you touched on in your post? And do do you think yeah. that'll be the kind of predominant model that'll get used in the future for, or the near future?
2: I think for specific use cases this kind of synthetic data can be really useful. I mean, I can have a whole long spiel on this, but the word that I use that isn't in the actual, like any hugging face communication on this is like computational doping as a as someone with a long athletics background is kind of what it's like they just like you're choosing the model with more good um, examples to try to get this evaluation score up and i would guess that eventually it'll be common knowledge that if you're evaluating with a language model it's going to reward a text that is similar to its style which is not surprising because it'll like have a higher likelihood if you do any sort of like if you compute the likelihood of a sequence the model is probably going to like the ones that are similar because that's probably all it's doing and that is okay and there's kind of ways to get around this and you can kind of see like what language models org has done they shift from um, rankings to ratings <laughs> these words are easy to lose track of so essentially ratings are relative to another model and rank rate and then you change to just use scores so you can rank things relative to each other or you can rate them and get a score and scores tend to have less bias and in my mind they're much less grounded so it's hard to use them downstream because they're just kind of random numbers but for example like language models this is the org released mt bench which is trying to be a bit more rigorous in evaluation with language models rather than humans and this kind of fills in. There's a great spectrum of, if you're interested in instruction tuning in chat models, there's a good spectrum from like the hugging face leaderboard, which is automatic instruction uh, evaluation to what we've done with the kind of with scale AI to do human evals of instruction prompts, which is pretty good for instruction tuning, but a little bit more pointed at downstream use cases with consumers. And then there's Language Model Sys has done MTBench, which is a little bit more chatty than what we did, but still pretty rigorous. And then the last thing that they have is their chatbot arena, which is random people on the internet talking to these models and generating comparisons, which is like full chat. So I started with instruction you can go to chat, but that doesn't answer the the questions that Sanan was raising in the normal business cases. It's great for understanding where the state of the art is going. And then, then there's the other conversation of humans versus uh, models for evaluation. I think humans often also have an extremely high set of bias and fallacies, fallacies. And it's about tuning the data and the valuations to do things that humans can actually do. Because I've done some of this preference labeling and it's extremely hard if it's like, write me a cover letter for the job that I'm extremely excited about. I've been working on this in my free time for four years in the background. And it's going to give you, these models are really good. Like they give you two cover letters that are like free of grammatical errors. Generally say we're looking at, and then the humans are like, which one do I like better? And it's like so hard to get a high agreement with these because the task is really hard. And then the humans might be better at some things, which is like, if there's factual errors, but most of these human labeled checks don't actually have them Google anything. It's like a low percentage that people actually Google if the year is right or anything like this. So it's like just gross, the model's going totally AWOL and forgot to answer the question or something like that, which is I think what humans are good at checking, which is like a directional thing rather than is the text coherent, but there's still so much to cover there.
0: Yeah. One thing, Nathan, is I find in your kind of layout, like, of instruction tuning or, like, in human about, like, there's a diff- bunch of different stuff that falls in there. One thing I think find less discussed, like, there's the research community talks a lot about that. What I find a lot of the data engineering community and software are talking about is offline evaluation because due to security concerns, et cetera, and just the way these, I think more and more people are going to be training domain-specific models and are going to want to limit uh, data in and out. Because of the security risk around these models, and I think that um, if we were up to researchers and ML engineers, they'd just use whatever, you know, was was easily available in proof accuracy. The realities are kind of different. So, have you seen anything or like what for helping specifically with offline evaluation um, in combination with some of those, uh, you know, techniques that you you mentioned? Anything, anything there? You can set for up engineers to do smudgers? them.
2: You can set them up to do them offline, but the infrastructure is not automatically done for you. So we're setting up training infrastructure that's like say every 100 steps of RLHF save the model checkpoint generate the completions for MT bench and then send it through like a script that generates open ai evaluations so you can get the scores out and then you like push it to an internal tool that does that puts them on like an internal leaderboard so you can have automatic training checkpoints but this is like you can tell that this is not something that is just out of the box for any company that's like training language models. So it's like, when is that in some giant company's product suite that they're like, or what is it like weights and biases? Are they going to add like model inference to their training? Like that's a huge change, but they're probably talking about that. I think that would be a huge tool if like they if they can integrate evaluation into the kind of training. Ecosystem. Well,
1: what would that look like, I guess, to you? Not like, no, not from a product standpoint, we're not their designers here, but what, what does it look like for a company like Weights and Biases, who their core competency, arguable, but I, I would say their core competency is helping machine learning engineers of all, you know, not just LLMs, but just machine learning engineers in general. Keep track of experiments, keep track of these local offline metrics while training and technically for evaluation as well. What, what product and kind of business shift would these companies have to consider if they also want to dabble in the world of global evaluations? And, and is are those two things really meant for each other? or do you think they should remain separate for any reason? I I, honestly, I don't know the answer. There's no, (laughs) I'm genuinely curious what your thoughts are yeah
2: as i had started talking said wait it's biases out i think they're gonna have a hard time because all of the model inference and things are built up on maybe open source infrastructure or like closed source compute but it's generally like open source modeling code and it's a lot easier to if if that is already doing your inference it's probably a lot easier to extend that for evaluation than it is to pull like open, like weights and biases does not access the model. So having it do anything with the model, that integration code is going to be a huge nightmare. So I think it, it's more likely to be a standalone thing or coming up from kind of this like training and compute and deployment layer, because that's what you have to build it in. That's what, that's what we're building in is like, we have our own data sets and it shuffles data around on our like infra side, like trying to think about doing this in weights and biases seems so hard.
0: Yeah, and then that that's just on the data side. Like, if you have a YAML file with different metadata, like hyperparameters, et cetera, stuff, that, and then you have multiple models, like let's say you're doing, you know, using, uh, you know, offline Burt Bloom model. So I was talking to someone actually a major bank. they have a bunch of suite of offline models. They have a separate instance of Azure, and they're already trying to figure out which is best, which I think is where the is going. It's just tons of models. You go to Leaderboard or, you know, Hugging Face or wherever and find a bunch of stuff. It becomes a really, really gnarly problem. And I think... I'm curious, Nathan, like, how you see this getting resolved. Is it, do you see folks, or and I'm really curious on the behavior you see, because you interface with a ton, ton of engineers as well. Do you think this will just be people will look at kind of high-level characteristics and then have a secondary kind of local layer to test this on? Like, where is the kind of future of uh, tooling around evaluation uh, headed in the next 18 to 24
2: months? I think you're map of like high level heuristics with local tooling is actually pretty good because like they're gonna be caught on to something that's probably fairly general and then they have to go and like go through all the steps of maybe adding their add their safety later layer which filters out certain terms is likely to degrade performance on something so you have to like add the actual integration into your systems that you're going to use because most of them are not just calling like model dot generate on some text it's like probably much deeper integration than that and you have to evaluate after that and then there's kind of that local suite of all the little things that you can check to see if they're working post post hoc yeah
0: super i I think
2: hugging face has tons of opportunities here it's just generally like the entry points are not it's like multiple it's like across a whole layer it's hard to find the, the beachhead when like, they might be using all sorts of these tools, but it's really the interstitial space. Like evaluation is mostly an interstitial space that is a systems problem. And unless your system is entirely in- included in one product, it's likely going to be really hard to build that feature.
1: And if you do include it into one product to your point, now you have this problem of, well, how do you manage all of these different evaluation criteria for all of these different tasks, right? So the you 're kind of you know you're between a rock and a hard place you either you know put it all into one place evaluations and everything but then you have to think about well how does this work horizontally for everybody and then there's to your point kind of a more the interstitial the more hyper specific ways of evaluating but that becomes more of a systems problem and, and how do you stitch those things together for your specific use cases so there's there's challenges on either side but I I, I guess if there's one takeaway that I'm certainly walking away with is that the world of evaluations is is very seemingly easy to wade into the pool, but really difficult to dive into and really get into the deeper aspects of how does this work at a, at a larger scale. What, I guess two questions. What are you looking for in, in, the, in the near future in the world of evaluations? What do you want to see um, in the world of evaluations in, in, in the future? And What research are you keeping track of today and and hopefully in service of that future world?
2: Yeah, so I think there's kind of ideals and realities in this space. And I think the kind of automatic evaluations, like what is in the original Hugging Face leaderboard, which you get a score is the easiest thing to optimize for if you're with an engineering team. And then the kind of reality is, I feel like a large percentage of research scientists, whatever you want to call that title at all these companies, they're probably just managing evaluation and it's mostly alchemy and it's like that kind of, Intuition for what models are doing and how that maps onto behavior is really tricky. And I think that, like, and hope that some of these kind of heavily funded nonprofits or kind of independent orgs that are looking at language models can also enter this space. Because I think evaluation in a more Vanilla Sense adds a lot of credibility to organizations that might be primarily talking about ex- existential risk, which most people will be like, okay, a large percentage of engineers, if you introduce that, they're just going to be like, okay, this is not the right tool for me to use. But in the in their actual long-term plan of what they want to accomplish, they need to get these people on board and using the evaluation tools. So I'm hoping that some of this money in the broader ecosystem beyond training can focus on evaluation. And I think there there was one there. was like Apollo Research is starting in London that is an evaluation-focused org that came from the existential risk community, I think. I, I don't, might be have the specifics wrong, but it's happening. And to have those sorts of people improve things beyond the language model evaluation harness from a Luther. And I think there's a lot of creativity that needs to be made. I, I They all come and go, and it's hard to know what catches on. Like Dan Hendricks at... Center for Safe AI, they propose something called like Machiavelli and there's all these benchmarks around like using models and maybe that's the thing but it generally depends on what these models are actually used for and everyone's trying so many things and it's more likely that we figure out what has traction and then get evaluations to measure it rather than just build random evaluations because if you've ever done research and you release an evaluation package that no one cares about, you it's it's kind of painful, and happens a lot, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of research uh, catching up on this. And I think the other thing, Nathan, you, this conversation has touched on, there's a lot of kind of systems work. It's in this space that will require a lot of innovation. And I think it touches on a theme that we're repeatedly hearing is uh, a lot of these LLMs have shifted ML to be inherently more of a probabilistic life cycle. Uh, and so it'll be really interesting to see how this all shapes up. But um, we really appreciate you coming on and, and discussing this with us and uh, driving on this. And uh, we'll link to your post at Interconnects and your work uh, at Hugging Face in the show notes as well. Thanks so much for coming on, Nathan.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot.